1991, a group of university students in Bangkok established the Mirror Foundation, an NGO based in Thailand, with the mission of helping people who are most prone to issues with citizenship, drug abuse, and human trafficking. Majority of the people who have benefited from the foundation come from rural communities nested deep within the mountains of Thailand. Hill people, they call them. Like the name suggests, they are people who live in the highly mountainous northern and western regions of Thailand, sometimes right between Thailand's borders of Laos and Myanmar. The Hill people are extremely vulnerable to crimes such as human trafficking. Even till today, children as young as seven years old are being sold, stolen, and forced into the sex slave trade. This exploitation stems from a variety of reasons, including poverty, lack of access to education, and sometimes sheer desperation. Often when a child is stolen, the families would lodge a missing persons report to the Mirror Foundation. But between the years of 2011 to 2012, the foundation noticed a stark increase in the number of missing adult men. This was worrying, and it prompted them to double down on investigations in the hopes that these people be found and brought home safely. However, while attempting to locate the missing men, the Mirror Foundation stumbled upon a ghastly discovery. Nine victims and six dead bodies. This is the case of Thailand's pickup truck killer, Nirut Songkamhan. You're listening to Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by 1UP Media. This episode might contain scenes of violence and criminal activity. Listener discretion is advised. On the morning of January 10th, 2012, a body was found floating in the Lampau Dam, a tributary flowing in from the province of Kalasin in northeastern Thailand. Upon closer inspection, the body was found to be an elderly lady, possibly in her 60s or early 70s. It was also found tied to cement blocks, indicating that there was an intention to weigh it down and prevent it from floating and becoming visible. Although the body had already begun the decomposition process, investigators fished the body out of the water and were later able to identify the woman as 67-year-old Yupin Joan Kem. Alarm bells rang inside the local police station of Kalasin. Authorities immediately matched this case to an existing missing persons report filed on the 8th of January. According to the report, Yupin's daughter had visited her home but quickly realized that her mother was nowhere to be found. She feared for the worst when she learned that Yupin's pickup truck was missing. Her dogs had been killed and that a sizable sum of gold and cash had been taken from the house. On the front door, a note attached with sticky tape was discovered. It read, I'll be away for 10 days. I have left for a nephew's funeral. Yupin's daughter was left extremely puzzled because she knew full well that her mother did not have any nephews. Investigators arrived at the home of Yupin Jonkem and began questioning neighbours. Some of them said that they saw a man entering the home on the 4th of January. 
but this alone wasn't enough for investigators to work with. Then, a critical piece of evidence was discovered. The piece of sticky tape used to attach the note to the door had fingerprints. They carefully peeled it off and sent it to the lab for analysis. After a short period of time, a match. The fingerprints belonged to a man named Nirut Songkamham, aged 43. Nirut Songkamham was born on August 5, 1969. When he was 10 years old, he moved with his father to Songkla province, about 600 miles away from Bangkok. At the age of 25, his life started to take shape and he moved to another village, where he got married, had a family, and found a job as a taxi driver. Additional details about Nirut's personal life are vague and often lost in translation. However, we do know that in 2011, Nirut was living in Kalasin with his third wife, who was reportedly 20 years younger than him. We also know that Nirut was a drunkard. His wife says that Nirut would often get drunk, beat her up, and also had a serious gambling addiction. He had even pawned off the family's pickup truck to pay for his losses. One day, Nirut's wife had enough of him and left to find work in Pattaya, a city located on Thailand's eastern Gulf Coast. If you've never been to Pattaya, the city is surrounded by coastal resorts, high-rise condominiums, and luxurious shopping malls. It's also home to a number of heritage sites, one being a temple that features a humongous 12-meter-tall gold-plated Buddha. However, the city is also known for its pulsating nightlife and sex industry, which is continuously expanding day by day. Nerud was furious after he learned that his wife had left for Pattaya, he blamed his mother-in-law for her departure, and his anger pushed him to take revenge. It's alleged that Nirut attempted to strangle his mother-in-law as she was using the outdoor restroom one evening. Her screams for help alerted her husband, but before he could come out to see what was going on, Nirut made a run for it. However, during the escape, one of his slippers broke off and was left behind. His father-in-law took one look and instantly recognised it. The police were called and Nirut was arrested. Some sources say that he would later go and beg his mother-in-law to drop the charges, claiming that he wouldn't stand a chance in prison. He promised her that he would turn over a new leaf and that if he was kept in prison, he would surely resort to suicide. Fearing that Nirut would cause further harm to her, Nirut's mother-in-law requested for the court to be lenient. Nirut was released just after a few months, on the 4th of January, 2012. If the date sounds familiar, it's because it was on this exact day that he entered the home of 67-year-old Yupin John Kem. For now, it seems like a case closed and a mystery solved. Police had managed to connect the dots and an arrest warrant was quickly issued for Nirut Songkamhan. The problem is, they couldn't find him.
there was still a large piece of the puzzle that was unsolved. But as time went on, more and more clues started coming in. The first came when a man named Montre Kalam reported that Nirut had drugged him and stolen his pickup truck along with his valuables. Montre said he received a call from Nirut in early January 2012, asking if he could pick him up in Bangkok and take him to Chimpon. At the time, Montre offered chauffeur services as part of his job as a truck driver. So he agreed and went ahead like any other day at work. Around 6pm, Montre showed up at the arranged meeting point, a viaduct which Nirut had decided on, and the pair took Highway 4 towards Chumpon. Along the way, Montre remembers that they stopped at a gas station for a break. When they continued on their journey, he said that Nirut had passed him a cup of coffee. He kindly accepted and took a sip. Something he would desperately regret later on. He distinctly recalls that the coffee tasted strangely bitter and told Nirut that he didn't want it anymore. In less than a minute, he felt his face go numb, his vision blurry, and his movement sluggish. He says, I tried to pat my face. I was wondering why my face and eyes were blurred. I saw hundreds of tail lights in front of me. I tried to pat and pinch my face. I realized I've been drugged. The car started wobbling. I slowed down and stopped the car. I reached for the emergency lights, but then I passed out. I woke up around midnight, squirming. My stomach was hurting, and when I reached out, I felt leaves and grass in my hands. I then realized that I was alive and in the woods. I burst into tears. It, it felt like my body had been ripped apart. I couldn't bear it anymore. My vision and mine were both a blur. I was sweating heavily. My stomach was aching. With excruciating pain, Montre crawled and sounded for help. When he arrived at the hospital, doctors informed him that he had been extremely lucky. Montre was poisoned with insecticide. It was fortunate that he only took several small sips, because any more would have surely killed him. Investigators brought Montre Kalam onto the route that he took and asked him if he could remember the gas station they stopped at. Montre remembers, and they end up successfully pulling the CCTV footage from the store. I remember he was wearing a striped shirt with jeans on. He also had a hat, Montre said, as they went through the footage. There. That's the guy. Police now had a blurry image of the killer. However, they were unable to make out the details of his face. Additionally, while investigations were still ongoing, another poisoning victim called in to make a report. A man named Paitun Parafo told police that he received a phone call from a man on January 27, 2012. The man had offered him about 130 US dollars to ferry him from Chumpon to Bangkok. This was quite a lot of money for a local truck driver, so he couldn't resist the offer. Pai Toon says, 
We had reached Cha Am when he suggested we get something to drink. He volunteered to buy the drinks, but after three sips, I felt the coffee taste was so bitter. Minutes later, I felt numb and my legs jerked, so I did my best to pull the car aside. Shortly after, Pai Tun lost consciousness, and when he woke up, he found himself in the woods with his pickup truck and his valuables gone. Pai Tun wouldn't know until later on that the man who had just tried to kill him was Nirut Songkamhan. He later tells the media, "I still consider myself lucky because I survived. I survived. I survived." I survived. At this point in time, Nirut Songkamhan was settled into a rhythm. He would hire truck drivers to ferry him to places and poison them. Once they were unconscious, he would steal all their valuables and their pickup trucks. He was no longer the drunkard that was described earlier. He seemed more methodical. However, he still had a gambling problem, quite a big one. Nirut had committed his heinous acts just so he could feed his gambling habit. It's believed. That the stolen pickup trucks was sold to a gang of car thieves in the Hatjai district, and Nerud would pocket the profit. Nerud made roughly 300 US dollars on each truck that was sold, but he would later lose all of this money while gambling, forcing him to go through the entire process again. On January 3, 2012, Nerud poisoned and robbed another truck driver named Wachara Suepcha. Using the same poison coffee method, Wachara was killed. And Nerud dumped his body off a bridge in central Trumpon. His valuables and his pickup truck were missing at the crime scene. In that same month, Nerud had tried to poison another truck driver named Charuan Daranoy. However, just as the poison took its effect, Charuan saw Nerud reach over to grab the keys to the truck. He immediately retaliated, and a struggle ensued. Fortunately, Charuan got out with minor scratches. And he recalls that the last thing he saw before passing out was Nerud taking off in a panic. Just in January of 2012 alone, Nerud had poisoned five people, and yet police were still clueless that the cases were connected. Three people survived the attacks: Montri Kalam, Paitun Parafo, and Charuan Daranoy. The other two weren't so lucky. Right after the failed poisoning attempt on Charuan Daranoy, Nerud would hunt for his next victim. He grabbed his phone and made a call to a pickup truck delivery service. Hello. Yes, I want to hire a driver. I'm headed down to southern Thailand to pick up my family members. I need someone reliable and good for the job. The owner of the company dispatched the job to one of his most reliable drivers, Rob Kwan Kapsun. Rob Kwan agrees and heads out to ferry Nirut. At around 9 p.m., the owner calls Rob Kwan to check on him. We don't know why he did this. It might have been a routine call asking for driver updates, or perhaps the owner sensed that something wasn't right. The call was never answered. In fact, there was no answer even when he called Rob Kwan the next morning. Puzzled and confused. The owner makes a call to Rob Kwan's wife. 
The details in Rob Kwan's case are sparse, but we do know that all his relatives had not seen him and his truck was nowhere to be found. Among the details, one thing was particularly hard to hear. Rob Kwan's wife says on record that she never normally kisses her husband. However, on the morning before he left for work, she kissed him on the cheek. Rob Kwan never returned home. He had vanished from the face of the earth, possibly murdered the same way as the previous victims. Rob Kwan's wife was devastated, but she would later make a decision that would change everything. She reached out to the Mirror Foundation. Within no time at all, the Mirror Foundation distributed posters, made announcements on their websites, and also contacted several media organizations. This grabbed the Thai media's attention and propelled Rob Kwan's case to even be featured on national television. Throughout the tireless investigation for the missing people, the foundation also successfully aided the police by providing the one thing that they struggled most with. Municipality communication. We know this sounds strange. What do you mean by municipality communication? The victims were all truck drivers. They were all poisoned and almost all of them had been successfully robbed of their valuables, especially their pickup trucks. So why couldn't the police work this out on their own? Well, because the murders were committed in different districts and cities, it became extremely confusing and difficult for municipal police to draw any connections. After all, each police district would receive separate reports of the missing persons, but the Mirror Foundation would receive all of them together. The objective of both large and small municipal police departments are the same, to create and maintain a safe city for its residents. However, lots of issues such as political pressure and corruption make it difficult for officers to exchange information or discuss cases between various districts. Fortunately, the foundation was able to notice the trend among the missing persons and help police to bridge the gap between the cases. Just as television programs of the missing persons were aired, reports of a man poisoned to death in the Tase district started to surface. The body belonged to Jil Sil Salangsing, another pickup truck driver. This was a turning point in the case because Jil Sil Salangsing was one of the missing persons that were featured on the program. The dots were beginning to connect, and the police were sure that this was no coincidence. A serial killer was lurking out there one that preys on truck drivers and poisons innocent victims to death. More reports of murders start to appear. Truck drivers that were poisoned and had their bodies dumped on the side of the road. On April 9, 2012, a body found along a highway in Prachap Kirikan would lead police to uncover another critical clue. This clue would lead them straight to Nerut Songkamhan. That's coming up in the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by 1UP Media. If you would like to share some feedback or suggest other cases that you would like us to cover, head on down to our website at asiantruecrimepodcast.com. This episode was researched 
produced and written by Yo Gong Jin, with audio engineering by Ethan Sam. Special thanks to executive producers Danny Cordy and Barry To from MediaCorp. We hope to see you again soon in the next episode of Heinous. Hey